This Resurrection Lord's Day, I want to do a bit of a topical study through all of the four Gospels. I was led of the Lord to change this sermon on Sunday, Saturday morning, excuse me, when I awakened, and the Lord impressed upon me to set aside the sermon I first was intending to preach in favor of writing this one with the Lord's help on Saturday morning. And this Lord's Day, we want to consider Scripture's details of our Lord's bodily resurrection, and then we will look at the details of our resurrections, because Christ's resurrection is the prototype of our resurrections. We can learn much about our future resurrections and the resurrections of loved ones who have passed on by looking at the nature of Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection. So let's start first with the heading, as it were, the details of our Lord's resurrection. Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to begin. Mark chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 1. Mark 16, verse 1. Please follow in your copies of God's word. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. I've been to that tomb on the outskirts of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It is at ground level. You walk in, and the half of the cave is open. No burial beds. It's called the weeping chamber. Then on the right side of this tomb are two burial beds, all hewn out of rock. The whole cave is rock, ceiling, walls, floor, and the burial beds are rock. And in the upper right corner of this tomb, when you walk in, was the bed where Jesus' body was laid. On the other side, opposite that bed, is a burial bed that has started to be carved out of the stone, but it is not finished. It was not completed. Between the two burial beds is a rock ledge that has been carefully carved out of the rock wall. It might be 14 to 16 inches wide, possibly four feet long. That is the scene you encounter when you walk into Jesus Christ's empty tomb in Jerusalem. Now, verses 6 and 7. And he said to them, that is the young man who was an angel who was seated to their right, it said in the verses previous, that was the rock ledge that was hewn out for a person to sit on. The angel sat on that. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going before you into Galilee where you will see him just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Verse nine. Now after he had risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. Jesus Resurrection measures 
his followers' love for him. I am convinced that the risen Savior first appeared to Mary Magdalene because she knew the magnitude of her sin that Jesus had pardoned. She knew the torment of being indwelt and consumed by seven different demons. And this wonderful Lord and Savior had exercised those demons and had given her peace of mind and peace of heart and purpose and life and forgiveness of sin. It says in Luke 7, we won't turn there, verses 36 to 50, he or she who is forgiven much loves much. He or she who is forgiven little loves little. And so the first detail I would like us to see as we consider, has Jesus forgiven me? You can ask this question. Has Jesus forgiven me much? Do I love him much? The first detail of Christ's resurrection that I'd like to share with you is that it measures our love for him. It measures our love for him. Now, for additional details of the literal and historic resurrection of Christ, go with math to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. I want to jump into the account at verse 1. Matthew 28. I'll read the first two verses to begin with. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first of the day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. There was a second earthquake. You may recall from our time together in Matthew 27 on Good Friday, we noted that there was a massive earthquake that cracked a foundation stone of the western wall in Jerusalem, a a stone that one stone the size of the payload of an 18-wheeler. And that stone was cracked through, and they would never have put a cracked through footstone at a wall. So it was cracked when Jesus Christ was crucified, when he was dying for the world's sins. The earth shook so severely that that stone, that one huge stone weighing 960 tons, was cracked by the earthquake. And graves of believers in Jerusalem were opened, and their bodies were resurrected, and they were seen alive again after being dead. Now here's a second earthquake associated with the bodily resurrection of our Lord. And there was an angel after that earthquake who was attending the empty tomb, which brings us to the second feature of the bodily resurrection of Christ. It was attended by an angel. The angel and the earthquake had a part in rolling the heavy stone away from the opening of the cave, not to let Jesus out. He came out without it being rolled in, but rather rolled away so People, witnesses could get in to see that he was not there. And so Christ's resurrection measures our love for him. It was attended by an angel. Third, it resulted him having a body that could be seen. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee where you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Jesus Christ's resurrection resulted in a fact that he would be seen. He could be seen. Verses 8 and 9, Matthew 28. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid to go 
Take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. The fourth aspect of Christ's resurrection is it resulted in him being able to speak. That may seem plain or maybe seem obvious, but our Savior could speak after resurrection. But that's not all. It was also a cause for rejoicing. For in verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came and looked at him and beheld his feet. They rejoiced. They rejoiced. Verse 10, And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid and take word to my brothers and to leave for Galilee, for they there they shall see me. So here we find ourselves with Matthew's account and with Mark's account, and it's given us details of Christ's resurrection. It's told us that Christ's resurrection measures our love for him. It was attended by an angel. It resulted in him having body which could be seen. It resulted in him being able to speak, and it was a cause for rejoicing, and it prompted worship of him. Verse 9, worship of him. Now let's go on to Luke, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. I'll read verses 13 to 16 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other all about these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. The next thing we're going to note about Jesus' bodily resurrection is that it resulted in him having a body which was recognizable unless God prevented for his own good purposes the recognition. Because their time of not recognizing them in this account was lifted and they were able to recognize him. So Jesus Christ, alive from the dead, was recognizable unless God the Father willed that, that a person not recognize him for a time. This is telling us that the resurrected body of our Savior was the same, and yet it was glorified. Let me begin again at verse 20, rather verse 17 of chapter 24 of Luke. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? How ironic is that? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word, and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. And we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Besides, indeed, all this is the third day since all of these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they rose early that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered in the the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The resurrected body of our Lord and Savior was the same in that it was recognizable and that it still had wounds in the hands and the feet, but it was glorified. He appeared in the room. Another feature of his resurrected body is that it resulted in a body that was physical and not merely spiritual. He said, handle me. He said, I have flesh and I have bones, 40 to 43. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Yes, this same, to some degree, body, yet glorified body, a body that could be handled, a body with flesh and blood was capable of eating. These are some of the picture details that we see of our Lord Jesus Christ's ascension, or the resurrection, the nature of it, and 10 details in particular coming to us from Matthew, Mark, and Luke very quickly. Jesus Christ's resurrection measures our love for him. It was attended by an angel. It resulted in him having a body which could be seen. It resulted in him being able to speak. It prompted the worship of him. It was the cause for rejoicing. It resulted in having a body which was recognizable unless God prevented recognition. It resulted in a body which was the same and yet somehow glorified. It resulted in a body which was physical and not merely spiritual, and it resulted in a body capable of eating food. Now we go to the fourth and last gospel account of Christ's resurrection and his body that he was resurrected with. And as we go to John, we look, go to John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, please. John 20, verse 1. 
Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. But Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead so the disciples went away again to their homes. The next result that we see in the bodily resurrection of Jesus is that it resulted in freedom. It resulted in freedom. Go back to verses 6 and 7. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and behold, the linen wrappings were there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. What a contrast that was to Lazarus' resurrection. In John 11, when Jesus called Lazarus out of death and the grave, he came out bound in the grave clothing. And Jesus said after Lazarus was given life again by Christ, he said to the bystanders, unloose him, unbind him. Jesus Christ's resurrection led to absolute, perfect, and total freedom. No need for him to be unwrapped. Jesus' resurrection is a prototype of our resurrections as his believers. The other thing I'd like us to see in verses 6 and 7, the ones I have just read, is that Jesus' resurrection was orderly. It was rolled up, not crumpled. It was not tangled. It was not ripped, but it was rolled up, 6 and 7. But Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior's bodily resurrection was an orderly resurrection. There was no evidence of hurry in the tomb. The grave clothes bore no witness to any hurry or any struggle, no evidence of grave robbers. Jesus Christ's resurrection was orderly, an orderly miracle. The next thing I'd like us to see from verse 7 again, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection lined up with God the Father's known will that he would be amongst witnesses alive from the dead for 40 days, ascend to the Father's right hand, and be there interceding for his born-again believers until the end of this church age, which is marked by the rapture of the church. That bodily resurrection of Jesus looked ahead to a future return of Jesus. I'm told, if there are any Jewish folks here, I'd love to know if, if this is entirely accurate. I'm not for certain. But I'm told that Jewish custom is that at a meal, 
that is waited upon by servants, that the diner will take the napkin for the meal, and if they are leaving the table for any purpose but intending to return, they roll it up. If they leave the table and they're not intending to return, they kind of crumple it and put it on the table in a bit of a mess. Could it be that Jesus rolled up his face cloth and we are told specifically that he did so in in congruence with that Jewish custom that told us he knows he's coming back. He's alive from the dead to one day return. Will you be ready for his return? Going on, Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection ultimately was for a bigger destination than just earth. A bigger destination than just earth. In verse 17 and 18, when encountering Mary and Mary coming to understand him eventually and her saying in verse 16, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and my God and to your God. It wasn't that Jesus was forbidding all handling of him after resurrection because other accounts and other gospels, he encouraged that. But he knew that Mary was hanging on to him as if him being with her depended on her grip on him. If somehow he could be lost if she didn't hold on to him tightly. And in that vein, he says, don't, don't cling to me. I will be ascending to my father. And so Jesus' resurrection was for a bigger destination, a bigger destiny than just this old planet Earth. Pictures filling in for us. We're seeing many things about our Savior's resurrection. Another fact is that it brought about something miraculous that is much bigger than science. In verse 19, John 20, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. You must picture this is the day of resurrection. He rose early in the dawn of that day. Those who reported his resurrection weren't always believed, even by his closest followers. And it says that they were shut up in verse 19. The Greek means locked up. They had locked themselves in for fear of the Jews. And Jesus comes through the locked doors, through the walls, through the ceiling, through the floor. He enters the room miraculously. And he says to them four special words that he says to you this morning. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And so the bodily resurrection of our Savior was all about the miraculous. And it delivered peace. He said to them, peace be with you. Skipping down to verse 20 through the first part of 21. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his feet. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus therefore said to them again, 
Peace be with you. Tells me we need peace. Read the newspaper lately? Follow the news, the global news? Seeing turmoil perhaps in your own family, at your workplace, on your street, at your school? We still need peace. And Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is the one who can give us peace. Not as the world gives, but as he gives. And of course, the precious ministry of the Holy Spirit sent on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He is the one who produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which one aspect of that fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace is not having easy circumstances. Peace is having inner confidence that God is in control. Peace is a wonderful byproduct of the resurrected body of Christ. Peace with oneself, that our sins are forgiven. Though our sins are many, they are forgiven by the bloodshed of Jesus on the cross as evidenced by God the Father raising him to newness of life after physical death to say that we are justified, declared innocent and righteous because of Jesus. We all need that peace. When Satan comes and tries to cajole us and harass us and steal peace about sin that we have confessed to God and repented of, we can tell him to get lost because it's been paid for. We have peace with God through the blood of Christ. And when we have peace with God, we can have peace with ourselves. And it will give us peace with others. When we experience the peace of the resurrected Christ by virtue of the indwelling Holy Spirit, when we have a vertical peace with God, we must have a horizontal peace with other people and an inner peace with ourselves. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, that sounds good, but I don't have any of that. Jesus died for you, shed his blood to pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He will forgive you if you tell him by faith you want him to be your savior from sin. Tell him that you blow it all the time, that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And then tell him you're trusting him and only him to make you right with God, forgiven, and bound for heaven. Being right with God, forgiven, and bound with heaven has nothing to do with christening or joining a church or baptism or trying to be a good person. There's nothing wrong with these things, but none of these things will make us right with God. None of these things will cover off our sins. None of these things will wash us clean before the eyes of heaven, the only eyes that count. And so I'd urge you this morning, this Resurrection Lord's Day, you could make a prayer like this, your private prayer from your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It's just talking to God. Right from where you sit, you could say, God, I know that I have sinned. And I'm sorry. And I don't think I can make myself clean. I've tried. But I trust Jesus alone to be the one who will pay for my sin with his blood. And I trust him that he rose from the dead, showing that my sins are forgiven. Help me to live a thank you kind of life back to you, Heavenly Father. Help me to walk 
with you the rest of my days. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you, and you can know that you are forgiven, a brand new child of God, given spiritual life where you were spiritually dead when you walked in. Be delighted if you tell me, or one of the elders, pastors on your way out, one of the members of our church, we would be delighted to help get you started in a new relationship with the Lord. Jesus' resurrected body delivered peace. It also resulted in his followers, immediate followers, and us by extension being sent. Verse 21. And Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It is a risen Savior that sends you into the doing of his will. It's a risen Savior that has made it possible for you to have a spiritual gift to the point of conversion, for you to exercise and use, work to do, to live a thank you kind of life back to him. And then another aspect of the resurrected Christ's resurrection was that it was and still is a call to belief in Christ for justification, for sanctification, and for glorification. Verses 27 to 29. And he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving but believing. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus was going to accommodate his doubt Jesus was going to let himself be handled, let Thomas touch the nail wounds in his hands, touch the scar and the hole in his, under his ribcage, but Thomas didn't need to actually go forward and do that. He could see it was the Lord, and he believed. And the resurrected Christ still is calling, calling, calling to belief in him. Now, very quickly, there's a lot of details about Christ's resurrection that we've seen in this time. Now, very quickly, let me consider some of the implications of the details of Christ's resurrection as they impact our resurrections. You do know that you will be resurrected. Every person made in God's image, every human being will be resurrected, either to resurrection of life or resurrection of damnation. Everyone will be resurrected. But for the believer in Jesus, for the converted, for the blood-bought child of God, for the redeemed person, our resurrections are resurrections to life. Never-ending life. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it teaches us something very important. It's the bridge between the first half of this sermon and the second half. And this is what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. But now Christ has been risen from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. Jesus' resurrection then is both the first installment of a resurrection, the kind of which goes to life, and his resurrection as the first installment of the variety of resurrection that leads to life, that is also the prototype. When a car manufacturer makes a new model of a car, they build a prototype. And then all the other subsequent uh, creations of that particular model of car are copies of an approved and a, a vetted Prototype, Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead, everything I've taught you about it in the four Gospels in these minutes is a prototype, is what your resurrection as a believer will look like. 
So what are the details of our resurrections? I have less uh, details than I had for Jesus. First, detail of our resurrections as believers, they will measure our love for Jesus as well. It says in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, but now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Do you know why? Do you know why the greatest of these is love? Because one day, faith will become sight. And one day, hope will become reality. But for all of eternity in heaven, love will remain the same. We will love Christ. We will love each other. Whereas one day, faith will become sight and hope will become reality. Love will continue on. And our resurrected bodies are given to us, among other things, so that we will love Jesus forever. Second thing about our resurrections, they too will be orderly. Just like Jesus' resurrection was orderly with respect to the grave clothes, your resurrection as a believer in Jesus will also be orderly. For it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us who are living will be caught up second. There's an orderliness to our resurrections. Also, our resurrections will be attended by an angel, just like Jesus' resurrection was attended by angels. Our resurrection will be attended by angels with that trumpet call of God at the rapture of the church when believers who have died in this church age and been interred in cemeteries, when their bodies are resurrected. You know the verse, perhaps. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So just like Jesus' resurrected body was attended to by angels, so will our resurrected bodies be attended to by the archangel. Our resurrected bodies will result in bodies which can be seen, bodies which can be handled, and bodies which can be recognized. We will recognize our loved ones who've gone on before us believing in Jesus for salvation. When we get to heaven, we will recognize them and they will recognize us. Because, among other things, at the Mount of Transfiguration miracle in Matthew chapter 17, Moses and Elijah were recognizable, although they were not previously even known by Peter, James, and John, who were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Another example, in Jesus' parable of the rich man, the poor man named Lazarus and Abraham, they were all recognizable in Luke chapter 16. So your resurrected body and mine will result in bodies which can be seen and handled and recognized. There's more. Our resurrected bodies will result in having the capacity to speak, to sing, to rejoice, and to worship. There's a future window pulled back, the blind of a future window in heaven in Revelation 5, 8 to 10. Listen. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, those are human, glorified, in heaven representatives of the church, fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy 
art thou to take the book and to break the seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Oh yes, when you are resurrected, when I am resurrected as believers in Jesus Christ, the resurrected bodies we will get will be capable of speaking and singing and rejoicing and worshiping. Another aspect of our resurrected bodies that parallels the Lord Jesus' resurrected body is that we can eat. Some of us are very happy about that prospect, that we will be able to take food, not that we will need food, but we will be able to enjoy food in the will of the Father who is heaven is his home. Why do I say that we can eat? Adam and Eve ate before the fall of Genesis 3, when they were ideal and sinless. God and angels ate when they took on human form to meet Abraham in Genesis 18. The pre-incarnate Christ left heaven temporarily with angels to dine, to eat with Abraham in Genesis 18. And then the last thing I'd like us to see about our resurrected bodies this resurrection Lord's Day is that these resurrection bodies will fit us for eternal life. They will fit us for work, actual work in the new heaven and the new earth. If you think that, as some people on the streets say, that heaven's going to somehow be boring because you're floating around in a cloud playing a harp, that's not at all biblical. We're going to have meaningful work to do in the new heaven and the new earth, to honor and glorify the Savior. And the resurrected body we will receive, the glorified body we will receive, will fit us and make it possible for us to do that work in that future new heaven and new earth. You may look at it this way, that when, when NASA at Cape Canaveral sends uh, astronauts out into space, and if they do a spacewalk, they have to have a space suit. And we who live on earth have an earth suit. It's our body with its senses. We can interact with our environment through our earth suit. Well, one day we're going to get a, a resurrected body, a glorified body that won't be a space suit and won't be an earth suit. It will be an eternal state suit, fitting us for life in the new heaven and the new earth that never ends, fitting us for labor and work, service to the Savior that will never end. It says in Revelation 22, verse 3, and there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and watch it, his bond servants shall serve him. The only way we'll be able to serve him is if we have bodies capable of work. Now I realize, as I mentioned earlier, that many of us have said tender goodbyes to loved ones to death. We've gone to the cemetery. We grieve. We long for heaven. We have an empty seat at our tables. May today's facts about Jesus' resurrection body and because he is the prototype of our resurrection bodies, the details for our resurrection bodies, my prayer is that it will comfort and give peace, peace within, peace with others, and peace with God. We've sung some beautiful 
Resurrection Sunday hymns. I'm just going to compile some of the lyrics as I close. Let these wash over you. The voice that spans the years, speaking life, stirring hope, bringing peace to us, will sound till he appears. For he lives, Christ is risen from the dead. One with the Father, ancient of days, through the Spirit who clothes faith with certainty. And we are raised with him. Death is dead. Love is one. Christ is conquered. And we shall reign with him, for he lives. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen, Christ is risen. Now the chains of sin are broken. Now the curse of death is gone. Glorious life and life immortal, sealed at resurrection's dawn. Christ has triumphed and we conquer, one with him in victory. Alleluia, alleluia, sing to him eternally. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Soar we now where Christ has led? Hallelujah. Following our exalted head? Hallelujah. Made like him, like him we rise? Hallelujah. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies? Hallelujah. Oh God, we thank you for these details, for your grace to give us these details of Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection and also of ours. Lord, we thank you that we serve a living Savior, we trust a living Savior, and we will go to be with a living Savior forever. And we pray this in his glorious and beautiful name. Amen.